Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim Yagel, and I'm going to be leading us today in our scripture reading, which is found in Isaiah 11, 1 through 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain." For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us and that you teach us. And Father, we thank you for the future promise that there will be peace, that there will be rest, uh, that the lion will lie down with the lamb. Father, we thank you for that. We ask that you would just open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to hear what you have to say through your scripture. We ask that you would be with Pastor Joel. In your precious name I pray, amen. Thanks so much, Kim. Not everyone uh, can learn how to wait well. Uh, Take, for instance, uh, a two-year-old. 
Uh, you can explain to a two-year-old all of the circumstances of what's happening. Uh, you can explain uh, what the reason for a delay may be. Uh, but because a two-year-old is two years old, uh, that may not go so well for you. It's no guarantee just by explaining more information that somehow they're going to be able to onboard all of that and wait. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the 20th century theologian, uh, wrote in one of his Advent sermons some time ago that another group of people who find it very difficult to wait are those who are satisfied, people who are contented, people who don't really have need of anything. Bonhoeffer says they don't know how to wait either because there's nothing they have need for. They don't have to save up. They don't have the practice of what it takes to wait. But in that same sermon, Bonhoeffer continues to go on and says, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, who look forward to something greater yet to come. So let me ask you, do you think you know how to wait For Christians, if you're older than the age of two and you don't have everything together, uh, that is, uh, you know, your life is not perfect and you have want of nothing, if you're somewhere in between that spectrum, and I don't mean to include any two-year-olds who are here can understand me, you're welcome, you're a part of our church, uh, but for everyone else in the middle of that spectrum, Advent becomes a season for us to practice something that we often find very difficult to do, the practice of waiting. So while Advent, historically, for 2,000 years in the church, has taken place in the lead-up to Christmas, Advent isn't some sort of four-week, four-part Christmas pageant where we just play over Christmas again and again. Rather, it's the time that leads up to Christmas uh, where we learn how to wait, how to live in anticipation, how to function in our day-to-day -day lives when we don't have everything together. And so starting today and over the next four weeks, we're going to consider the days of the prophet Isaiah. As the people of God waited for the first arrival of the Messiah to deliver them from their trouble, they learned and practiced waiting. Not just for a few minutes, not just for a few hours, not just even for a few days or weeks, but over generations they had to live in the practice of waiting for God to arrive and deliver them. When they were powerless to bring about their own deliverance, they would turn to God in faith and wait. They would wait in the face of injustice when powers that they couldn't control or they couldn't uh, do anything about pressed in on them in real ways. They learned to wait. When they were distracted, by uh, other gods, by idols, by things drawing away their worship, saying, ah, yeah, we know God gave you those promises, but look over here, something sparkly and new. And they had to learn how to wait and not just wander off away from God's covenant promises while they 
were looking for his arrival to come and bring about deliverance. They had to wait in a time of suffering when they faced not only the normal day-to-day things like illness, but they had to face systemic suffering, suffering that uh, worked its way across uh, their own family, city, and nation. And so over the next month, starting this morning, we are going to look back to the pages of Isaiah to learn from a people who practiced waiting on God to make good on his promises. And our hope as a church is that by looking back at the days of Isaiah to see how they waited for God to bring about justice, they waited for God to bring about their faithfulness, they waited for God to bring about an end to their suffering, well, we can learn those same things as a whole community as we look forward for God's return. As Christians in the 21st century here in Montgomery County, we live between two advents. The first advent that the people in the days of Isaiah were waiting for, advent is just a fancy Latin word uh, that means arrival. That's it. So while the people in the days of Isaiah were waiting for God's first arrival, that first advent, what we do celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, We, now living on this side of Christ's incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his pouring out of his spirit, that's the chapter that we're living in, in God's redemptive story. We look forward for God's second advent. That is when Jesus returns as not infant child in lowly circumstances in Bethlehem, but as triumphant king returned on display for the entire world to bring about the justice that he's promised. As Christians, that's what we're waiting for. And so if you ever wonder as you pay your bills or as you go shopping or as uh, you kind of wake up day over day and it can feel maybe sometimes like Groundhog Day, if you say, what is this all geared toward? For us, that waiting time, it's geared toward Christ's return. And so during Advent, we live between those two Advent points in redemptive history. Jesus' first arrival and his anticipated second arrival. So we're going to look at uh, Isaiah chapter 11 this morning in two points. And you'll see them uh, on the screen behind me. Uh, Future hope and faithful waiting. First, uh, future hope. In verse 1, Isaiah tells us, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And some context here may be important. In the days of Isaiah, God had given promises to Abram, to Isaac and Jacob. And King David had taken the throne. They had uh, been delivered into the promised land. And uh, they had struggled to hold on to the land that God had promised them. And so when you see this mention of the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, it's a signal to you that God made kingship promises to the house of David. And Jesse was David's father. So God is saying, listen, 
I know it looks bleak. The Assyrians have come through and they have buzzsawed the forest. They have cut down the trees that provided you shade and protection. The Assyrians are scary. And you've tried your political machinations and you haven't been able to do anything about them. You've tried to go at your own and look where it's got you, just more trees cut down. And so while you once lived in the shade of a forest that I provided you, now all the trees have been cut and you are having to wait and you're struggling. That is the type of imagery that Isaiah is using when he speaks into their lives and says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. It is this signal, this small metaphor of a sprouting up from a stump that's been cut that God has not forgotten about them. That there is a future hope of what God is doing, even in the midst of overwhelming power, that they can turn and trust that the Lord has not forgotten them, even when they're struggling in day-to-day life. In verse 2, he continues on to tell us more about uh, what this will look like when God makes good on his promises through the stump of Jesse. He says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be his, the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So a few things here for what the people can look forward to to how God is working in the world. The first is that it is going to be spirit-driven work. That is, it's not going to be uh, on the people to go out and figure it all out by themselves. It's not going to be up to some brilliant individual entrepreneur to deliver the technological advantage that everyone is going to look to and have hope in, and it's going to bring about full justice and peace. That's not the way hope will arrive in the face of injustice. Instead, Isaiah tells us it is going to be through the Spirit of the Lord resting upon the one who will come about to deliver this. And so that's important for us to hear and understand. God is saying ultimately salvation in the moments that we're waiting. And salvation, I mean this full-orbed picture of salvation— Not only how you manage to deal with your own individual sin or struggles, although that's part of it, when you think about the broader forces of injustice in your life, when you think about the ways in which people you know or you yourself have been victimized, have been on the receiving end of injustice, have struggled against a system that is unfairly stacked against you, have battled any of the realities of living in a broken, sinful, fallen world, Isaiah is giving you hope this morning that your ultimate deliverance, your ultimate justice is not going to come through anything other than God himself working. 
That's this spirit of the Lord language in verse 2. It's echoed in a few different points, but it's bringing about this picture that God himself is the one who can bring about peace and justice. And hear this closely, God alone. That's why we have hope as Christians. That's why we sing and we pray and we hear from God's word because we have to be reminded. We're so tempted to want to bring about justice uh, through everything from uh, uh, what organizations we're involved in or how we engage the world or what we're doing with our family. And I want you to hear me closely. It's not that any of those things are wrong, per se. It's not that any of those things are bad. Uh, All of that may be well and good, but it won't ultimately accomplish the justice and peace of the Lord because he himself will do it. And so that means we can rest from feeling that every justice may be righted on our watch. Uh, There is more than just us. It is the Spirit of the Lord who will accomplish it. Then in verses 3 and 4, he gives us just a sense of what that will look like. When peace and justice and righteousness come about... And I want to note here that these things are always intertwined. You don't have justice without peace. You don't have peace without justice. You don't have either of those without the truth and righteousness of God. Isaiah doesn't kind of partition those out in a way as if you can accomplish all of justice in the world, but there still be warring factions or countries. Uh, It won't work that way. They are all connected together. Again, a signal to us that we can't accomplish it unless we can see as God sees and work as God works. And we can't. And so, in the midst of waiting for justice to come down, God calls us to turn to him in hope. Because he is the one who's able to move beyond just what I see and ears hear to bring about judgment and disputes. He is the one that can judge the poor with righteousness, and who can deliver true equity for the meek of the earth. And then in verses, he kind of signals that, right? That righteousness, that this language of what he'll be wearing, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then in verses 6 through 9, he gives us a picture from the animal world of what it will look like when it's fully accomplished. Now, quick warning, uh, don't try this at home, Okay. Right, So uh, full justice and peace and righteousness, they haven't gone forth in the world yet. So don't try mixing together lions and lambs. Uh, that, it may not go so well. Uh, but what Isaiah is trying to use with this metaphorical language from the animal world is that, that this connection between what's going on in the full world. Again, when it's more than just individual or one particular group who experience justice, but when justice pours out across the world and with it, peace and righteousness, then you'll see it even in the animal kingdom, so to speak, because they're not beyond God's working hand. And so that's the power of the metaphor, the ways in which we would never imagine a child playing around poisonous snakes. And Isaiah is using this rich and powerful metaphorical language to say, yeah, when God's justice and righteousness and peace pours out onto the world, you'll see it. Lions will become vegetarians. Animals will get along. The meek and the poor will cease to be marginalized or neglected. The powerful will no longer be able 
to use their wealth or status to abuse or lord it over others. Justice and righteousness will be achieved. It sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds even worth waiting for. But it's been a long time since the days of Isaiah to today, right? When, how long do we have to wait? Is this just an empty or false hope that we are trusting in to make it through day to day? When Jesus arrives in the first century and he declares to the people that that stump that had been cut and that God's working to grow up this uh, shoot from the stump of the house of Jesse, Jesus declares to the people, that's me. That's what I've come to accomplish. And some people said, maybe that's true. We've been looking for a Messiah. We've been looking for one who comes from the house of David who will make good on these promises of justice. And so some believed and others didn't. And he, he continued to work miracles, overcoming the forces of evil, raising people from the dead, healing those who were in need, declaring that the poor and the meek would be viewed differently when you put on kingdom lenses. More people said, hmm, this sounds a lot like the arrival of what Isaiah prophesied. And others didn't. And so the pivotal moment for the arrival of Jesus is when he goes to the cross and is crucified to pay the price of sin. Sin in our world, sin in our lives, sin individually, sin corporately. Jesus took it upon himself on the cross. And here's where it gets important. When he was raised from the dead... He declared that all power on heaven and earth had been given to him. And that while he would go away for a season, he would return and bring about fully all that Isaiah prophesies here. And so as Christians in the 21st century in Montgomery County, we live between Christ's resurrection and his future return. And that resurrection and the pouring out of God's spirit on us, it becomes the down payment of how we know in the midst of the difficult waiting that God is going to do what Isaiah prophesied he would do. How do we know? Because Jesus is no longer in the grave. As Christians, that is our hope. It is resurrection, hope, and power. How else could we ever overcome the injustice in the world? How else could peace ever come to the Middle East apart from resurrection power? That is the Christian hope. That is what we uh, rehearse and go over in our heads day over day as we ourselves learn to wait in the face of injustice. And so faithful waiting looks just like that. Rehearsing what it looks like for the Spirit of the Lord to rest upon us as God's people as we continue to wait for Jesus' return. It is as if we as a community are called, not as if it is, we are called as a community to follow in Jesus' footsteps. 
So when Isaiah prophesies about the Spirit of the Lord, here in Isaiah, it's looking toward the Messiah, I think. But on the other side of Jesus' resurrection, God's Spirit is poured out on each of you who've turned in faith to Jesus. That resurrection power is now a part of your individual lives and our corporate life as a church. Wow! That means when we wait in the face of injustice, we can look at the Spirit of the Lord resting upon us, and we can pursue lives that are wise and full of understanding. We can pursue lives that reflect the Lord's counsel and might. We can demonstrate a proper knowledge and fear of the Lord, and we can do all of those things in our day-to-day lives as we await for Jesus to return. That's quite simply what it looks like to live as a Christian in a season of waiting. There are a ton of gifted people at Mosaic Silver Spring, entrepreneurs, people who have navigated all sorts of life circumstances. Like, I mean, a lot of gifted people that are part of our church. And so this week, I was wrestling through, how can you tell people how to live in this way? How can you give some specific applications and ways that it rolls out? And I felt like two things happened. The list got so long, I couldn't possibly cover it in one sermon, particularly not on a Baptism Sunday sermon, right? Because that's how long on the list is. But then it felt incomplete. It felt like I could never exactly put my finger on how each of you in your lives could wait looking for God's justice to work out in our day-to-day lives. And so I leave you quite simply with the call of Isaiah that we should look to not judge by the way that our eyes see or our ears hear, but so understand God's character and how he sees and understands the world, how he sees and understands what justice and truth and righteousness really look like, that in our day-to-day lives when we think through our own gifts that God has given us, we are actively employing them in faith to pursue all of those things together to pursue peace, righteousness, and justice as a community. That is what it would look like for us to faithfully wait. A spirit-empowered patience where we engage the people in our families and our friends and our coworkers, or for you kids, the people in school, we would faithfully engage them with a spirit-empowered patience. That we would pursue justice, not just on one particular issue, and not just uh, internationally or nationally, but justice even in our own family and in our own dealings. Uh, That we would take small steps to think through how does it look like to put on the belt of righteousness and to pursue peace and justice in my day-to-day life. That's God's call for us as we wait. And where we feel like we fall short, or where we feel like the problems are intractable, or where we feel like, uh, man, this is just never going to budge. It's in those moments of waiting that God calls us to be mindful of his resurrection power and to not lose sight that it's somehow on us, like God gives us the Spirit and then we have to just go do it, but rather that we function in our day-to-day lives as part of that resurrection power working itself out in the world, and that is how God will accomplish his peace. 
That is what it looks like for us in the day in and day out. May God give us wisdom to do that. Strength and faithfulness, I pray. And let me pray for us now. God, thank you for all who are here this morning. And as we think through what it looks like to live out our faith, even in the face of injustice, I pray that we would hope for justice and peace, for righteousness and truth, and do that looking to you, God. Looking to follow your pattern for our lives, Jesus. And trusting in you, Holy Spirit, who've been poured out upon us as Christians. That through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will live faithfully, looking forward to the return of Jesus, our Lord and King. We pray in his name. Amen.